Welcome to the Create an Athlete Podcast, your guide to raising a future college sports star. I'm Steve Edelson, columnist with the Asbury Park Press, and I'm joined by my colleague Jerry Carino. And today, Jerry, we touch on a subject that we've really done a lot with on the boys' side, but really haven't done much on the girls' side. Right. I spend most of my winter in uh, in gyms watching college and, and high school basketball, and it's interesting to hear uh, where the girls are in relation to that and recruiting, the AAU scene, the grassroots scene, the development. How close is it to what we see in boys basketball? How is it different? How much is it evolving? And for that, we brought in someone who really knows the score. Yeah, we're going to be joined by Sandy Madigan. And Sandy is actually an assistant boys basketball coach at Tom's River South, but she was a star at Tom's River North, played at Iona, and she founded her own AAU basketball team, Tom's River Stars, and she's going to really give us some insight into that whole scene. We're going to get to that interview in a second, but first we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you think of this episode, what you want to hear in the future on the Create an Athlete podcast, and what you think of the other episodes when you go back and binge all of them. So reach out to us, and you can do that in a number of different ways. On Twitter, at Create an Athlete. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Create an Athlete. Or you can email us, createanathlete at gannett, G-A-N-N-E-T-T dot com. And now our interview. Sandy, thanks. Thanks for joining us today on the Create an Athlete podcast. And, you know, you will have so much experience in basketball and the AAU. You started your own team, Tom's River Stars. Um, How has this changed since... You know, the, the 1990s when you were playing and, and going on to play at Iono, how, how different is the landscape now for, for girls? Um, as far as AAU goes, I mean, it's changed drastically. I know, you know, when I started playing AAU, I was in fifth grade. And throughout the entire state of New Jersey, uh, there is maybe about seven, maybe eight teams, period. You know, now... You know, you have a town that probably has seven or eight teams. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> but, um, and the way it works was, you know, we played, they would have a qualifier, and all of us played together, you know, played against each other, and that one team that won went to your nationals. So when we went to nationals, there was one team per state, and that was it. There was the 50 teams, and that was n- nothing else. Now... You know, there's so many different qualifiers and so many more teams. You know, we went to nationals uh, maybe four years ago with my team, and there had to be uh, maybe like 300 teams there. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's a great opportunity because more teams get to go. Um, but also over the years, you have more girls that are being more competitive with basketball, that are, that are really striving to be in athletics. You know, you didn't have as many girl sports back then as now. Certainly the, uh, and, the, the landscape has, has blown up. I mean, it's gotten huge, and part of that's Title IX, of course, and part of that is, is um, just a lot of positive role models for girls in sports, too, that we've seen. Um, Sandy, what, what are the pros and, and what are the challenges of behind AAU girls basketball becoming so enormous compared to the smaller community that it once was? Well, the pros I definitely think is that there's more girls out playing than ever before and training and working hard. Um, I think one of the misconceptions is because 
there's so much AAU out there now. I find that a lot of parents have this premise that because their child's playing AU, they're automatically going to get a Division One scholarship, which I think is really unrealistic. So, you know, I think it, they kind of balance each other out. I, you know, you're getting out there, you're training, you're doing more, you're playing against better competition, which is good. But people do need to understand when it comes to Division One scholarships, less than 1% of people get full rides. Right, that's a number we've talked about quite a bit on this show and with different people in conversation over the years. It's amazing that misconception still persists, Andy. Mm-hmm. I just think so many, someone knows someone somewhere or they know somebody who got, and right away they, people just have this perception that it's easy, and it's really not. <laughs> um, and a lot of people who get Division One scholarships, people don't realize, I think, the numbers were literally at maybe 65% wind up transferring after the first year. You know, w one of the things we've, we've talked about several times on different episodes of this is the game versus practice. You know, a, a lot of times now teams, you're, you're heading all over the place playing games, maybe not practicing as much as you used to. Um, I don't know, is that, is that a problem? Maybe less work on skills, more on showcasing players? Oh. I, I find it as a problem. Um, I, I mean, for me, practices, you know, they say that's where you get better. The main thing which I try to teach and instill in, you know, the girls that I coach and even, you know, the boys now is if you want to be a good basketball player or baseball player, it it's, you know, goes with any sport, you have to be a student. You have to study it. Just like if somebody wants to be a doctor or they want to be a lawyer, you study it. Um, you know, and I don't think, and, you know, I use the phrase with, with, with my players, there's people who play basketball and then there's basketball players. And the ones that are the basketball players are the ones that study it. You know, watching film, being able to, you know, when a team is running a 1-3-1 press or a zone on you, you have to be able to mentally know, okay, well, where are the gaps? Where, where do I want to look? Do I want to look for my angles? That sort of thing. And I don't think people study it as much. They practice their skills, which is great, but you've got to get the mental aspect as well. You've got to have both. That's a good point, Sandy. And a, a building on Steve's question, he's talking practices versus games. Just in terms of games, you hear this concern a lot on the boys' side. Are, there, are we playing too many games? Um, are there, is there a concern about overuse injuries, ACLs? Fatigue, burnout, uh, maybe fatigue is the wrong word for, for 17, 18-year-olds, mm -hmm. but burnout. Are these, are these things that maybe could be tweaked or changed, or is this, hey, the kids, just get them out there and let them play? I don't think there's too many games because I do like the fact that the games kind of reinforce what you're trying to teach in practice. Um, as far as injuries and things, I'm a firm believer in playing multiple sports. I know, you know, this generation is really kind of trying to specialize in, you know, one sport here or there. Um, I, I'm not a believer in it. I think that causes more injuries because you're constantly pounding on the same muscles. I was always um, a softball player. I played multiple sports. And I think that's a misconception also, too. People think, oh, if they play other sports, they're not going to play in college. They're not going to get a scholarship. They have to just focus on this one thing. And I really don't believe that. I think... You know, you got to build your whole core body and strengthen, and you can't just keep pounding on the same muscles, especially like pitchers. You know, you, 
I just believe you got to do multiple things. Have you seen a, an overall rise in the level of, of high school girls basketball uh, over the years with, with this development in, of the AAU programs? Absolutely. Uh, that, that's, my girls, when I started coaching with them, they were fourth grade. And now, for the most part, they're pretty much all juniors in high school. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to be able to work with some very, very talented girls. I mean, I can, I could say there's like at least six or seven of them that are all going to get scholarships, whether it be, you know, full, individual. But you know what? They put the time in. They work. They're at college showcases. They're going to training sessions. I mean, these girls work their butts off to get to where and to be able to have the success that they're having now. We're joined by Sandy Madigan, who uh, was a star at Tom's River North and now is a assistant coach on the boys' side at Tom's River South and, you know, has been in the basketball scene here at the Jersey Shore for many years. And, you know, Sandy, when you look at some of the girls that have come out of the shore over the last decade, you know, who have gone on to, you know, really make an impact on the college game. It's pretty amazing uh, at the, the level of talent that, that has been developed here. Absolutely. And I think it's great for younger kids coming up, especially having um, the arena over at High School North where they get to go and watch these girls play and to be able to, you know, be role models and, and to look up to them where y you didn't have that. But now you have so many talented players between Ocean and Monmouth County, and all these young kids coming up see it, and they strive to be like them. Sandy, let's talk recruiting. And uh, how much different or similar are the recruiting scenes, which we know in boys' basketball is heavily concentrated around AAU and some mm -hmm. showcase events. How similar is it with the girls, and what's different about the way, the way they're recruited, if anything? I think now, definitely this generation, it's more um, focused around AAU and uh, showcases. I know when I was younger, a lot of it uh, was centered around camps. You know, you went to a lot of camps and a lot of the coaches came, and that's where you really were seen. Um, but definitely it's, it's made a huge shift into the AAU. But I think the main thing is are the college showcases. That's really where you need to go and excel, that sort of thing, is where you're going to be seen. Is recruiting in, in girls' basketball micro-analyzed the way boys' basketball is? Or are we not there yet? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? No, I, I, it definitely is. I think nowadays they try to reach out to the kids when they're very young, you know, and establish a kind of, you know, personal relationship with them. I mean, I've seen, you know, kids getting letters, oh, my goodness, like sixth grade, wow. where some people think, wow, that's too young. But they're trying to build a relationship. They're trying to, you know, you get familiar with you, and then when the recruiting process comes, you're going to think back and say, wow, they've been with me for the past six, seven years, those sort of things. So, you know, I think a lot of that is where it's kind of trending to now. What's, what's too young to offer someone a scholarship? I mean, you mentioned letters, and that's fine, of course, at any mm -hmm. age. But what's too, what, what is in your mind the, uh, the line to draw as far as offering a kid a scholarship at what age? I really don't think there's anything positive going before your junior year. Um, I think when you're younger, you're a freshman and you're a sophomore, you really don't know what it all entails. Right. You know, people right away, they think, oh, scholarship and basketball, and which is great, but a lot of the aspects 
people don't think about, and that's why there's a high rate of people transferring. Just in the, the situation of classrooms, you know, do you want to go to a big-time school where now your classroom is in an auditorium where you have three, 400 kids in your class, as opposed to, say, a smaller school where you have 30 kids and you're getting that one-on-one attention with your teachers? Um, you know, distance. Some kids think, oh, it's so great, I want to go away from home. But then, you know, in the reality is, can they handle being away from mom and dad? So I think there's a lot of aspects when you're young you don't think about. And as you get older, you start, you know, analyzing more and more, okay, what is my life going to be like in college? And you can kind of, you know, have a better understanding. That makes a lot of sense. And last thing on this point for me, do you see cutthroat recruiting tactics uh, like we see on the boys' side, whether it's, you know, the, the uh, negative, re- heavy emphasis on negative recruiting against schools or, you know, the pulling of offers. Uh, we, is, that, is that happening with the girls or, or, or not, not as frequently as, as prevalent? I really haven't seen it, um, to, to be honest. I really haven't seen that kind of negativity. I know, you know, some schools were, were pulling scholarships away from players, but, you know, as far as the girls go, I really haven't seen or, or heard of anything like that. Sandy, do you have to keep a, a close eye on things like, you know, burnout and, and stuff like that with, with girls? I know, you know, sometimes it's a problem on the boys' side with all the, all the games you're playing and all the, you know, let's face it, uh, some of them, if you're trying to get a college scholarship, you know, there's some pressure on you as you go through that process. Oh, absolutely. I mean, definitely something parents should always look at. I mean, you know, as a parent, you know your kid better than anybody else. Um, but it is a lot of pressure, especially that, you know, sophomore to junior year, because, you know, you have so many expectations on yourself. You have expectations of what your family wants, um, you know, and college is now coming to watch you and they're contacting you. It's, it's just a lot more. Plus you have to take in the academic side, you know, like, okay, well, I want to go to this school, but what are my SATs? What are my ACTs? So, those years really probably compile more pressure than anything. And you have, you've taken uh, several teams to nationals, is that right, uh, with Tom's River? Yes. Well, it's, for the most part, it's, it's been multiple years, but mm-hmm. it's been the same core girls. We've kind of just, they've stayed with me since fourth grade, and we've gone on and on. And that, just talk about that whole experience for those girls and how important that was to have that whole experience like that. Um. Well, really, the way it started was there, there really wasn't anything um, other than, you know, the rec TRBA, which is great. Um, but for kids to be able to play better competition, there really wasn't anything locally within the area of Tom's River. Um, so my brother, Joe Bisogno, had, you know, we discussed basketball because at that time um, he had twin daughters, um, Noel and Brielle Bisogno, who were in fourth grade, that wanted to, you know, play more. Um, so we reached out through the TRBA. We found, you know, a group of like 10, 11 girls. And um, so we started a fourth grade team. We also had another um, age group, a fifth grade team. And that's how we started. And we kind of just played locally. There were some, you know, tournaments in Barnegat and Pineland, just, you know, between Ocean and Monmouth County. And we stayed like that probably for two and a half years because we both were under the understanding is if we can't beat teams out of our area, we certainly didn't want to go to other areas. We weren't going to go to New York or Pennsylvania when we couldn't beat kids, you know, teams within New Jersey. Um, and we, we started to have a lot of success. And then, you know, we had a couple of new players that wanted to try out. 
Um, and, you know, we just slowly started building and building, and every year we would add a new team. So now we're at the point where we have, you know, a high school team, we have an eighth grade, a seventh, a sixth, a fifth, a fourth, all the way down. So it, it's built over the years, which is, you know, uh, it's been a lot of successes, and, you know, it's good to see all the kids involved. Sandy, this is Jerry. Last thing for me, this is kind of a two-part question, but in what in what areas has uh, has has girls' grassroots basketball uh, girls basketball evolved the most over the, the time you've been involved, and what what would you like to see evolve most going forward? Well, as far as how it's evolved, it's definitely the amount of girls that are out there and playing and very competitive. You know, a lot of times you would see a team that have one stud player and that was it. But now you have teams with five, six stud players. You know, more kids are out there. More kids are working, um, training, and getting better every day. Um, so I think that, that's a positive, and, you know, it's definitely going in the right direction. Um, going forward, I, I just think, you know. You think it needs, you think it needs a little more attention? I mean, is it. Would you like to see the platform be a little higher? You think it could be equal with boys as far as in the public consciousness, media attention, et cetera? Is that, is that a place for growth? I mean, it, that, that's definitely where, you know, the growth part is. Um, realistically, is it ever going to be comparable to the boys? I would love to say yes, but, you know, realistically, I just think there's just a bigger draw in boys' um, basketball just because of their athleticism. Um, their quickness, you know, girls tend to be more fundamentally sound. Right. Boys tend to just have that athleticism, and it just makes it more exciting. But, um, you know, I, I do see a lot of positivity, you know, moving forward. That's great. And, Sandy, we, we asked this of all of our guests on the Create an Athlete podcast. If you had one best piece of advice to give a youth sport parent, you know, in this area, what would it be? Um, I would say to let your kids enjoy playing and have fun. Um, I think especially now as kids get older and they're going through the recruiting process, parents don't realize that coaches that come to recruit your child will actually sit in the bleachers and judge the parents and judge if they're screaming and yelling at their kid because they can tell who the parents are of what kid just by the things you yell. And I think that, you know, parents don't realize the disservice that they're doing to their kids during the recruiting process by, you know, screaming and yelling and, you know, sometimes acting like lunatics in the bleachers. So I think they just need to take a step back and be a parent and let their kid excel and have fun and support them. That's great. Great advice. Sandy, thank you very much for joining us on the uh, podcast. Thanks, Sandy. No problem. Thank you. Star Trek, Star Wars, Batman, Harry Potter, Marvel. Everyone is a fan of something. The Fan Theory Podcast explores pop culture weekly. Co-hosts Alex Bice and me, Felicia Wellington-Riddell, talk features and fan faves with guests like William Shatner, Kevin Smith, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Simon Pegg, Vivica A. Fox, and so many more awesome creators behind your favorite books, movies, TV, music, video games, whatever Disney is doing, which is all of the things. So check us out. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Visit app.com slash fan theory and join the adventure.
So, Jared, uh, some insightful stuff from Sandy. I, I don't know, can you ever see yourself as a uh, girls' AAU parent? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it could happen. Some of that's not really up to me, right? Right. Well, we'll see how it evolves. But, but uh, I, I will tell you this. I could not see myself screaming to the point where coaches <laughs> are going to cross my daughter off the recruiting list. Boy, that's interesting. That was fascinating, that last little nugget. So, as someone who writes a lot about recruiting, I have never heard someone actually say that before, ever, about boys' basketball. And maybe it's true for boys, too, but that you are doing your, your daughter a disservice when a college coach or recruiter sees you acting like a nut in the bleachers. Well, it's interesting because you're right. We haven't heard that, and I haven't really thought about that. But when you do think about it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, um, sure. Because what parent, what coach wants a lunatic parent in his, in, you know, within his program? Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. And I, at some point, I guess the level of talent's going to override those considerations. But if you're one of the many, you know, three-star type recruits who's like on the fence of being Division One, you know, not a can't miss player, not a blue chip player, that's certainly something that could sway a coach. And you never think of it when you hear it from someone like that who's in the gym. It makes a lot of sense. Well, and I, I think, you know, one of the takeaways from what Sandy was talking about is that a lot of what's going on on the boys' side is mirrored on the girls' side. You know, AAU is really the, the premier, you know, that's where you're getting seen at these showcase events, and it's, it's the same on the boys' side. All right, and here's the things, that, the various things that we touched on, Steve, and that is they're similar with the boys, but girls, you know, it, it's evolving later, so it started later, and it's... It's getting bigger now, whereas the boys have been big for a while. They have some of the same issues. The amount of games versus practice, um, the wear and tear, and she mentioned being just one sport. And we have, we're working on this project right now. We have somebody writing about um, ACL injuries, right. which are, in, are more common with girls. It's just a physiological thing. And are we doing girls a disservice by playing game after game after game year-round? And so she addressed that to a degree. So there are differences, but... The main takeaway is that, you know, AAU is sort of this juggernaut in, uh, in boys' basketball, and it's getting there in girls' basketball, too. It's there. And we're, in the, you know, we're, we're reporting here from the, the epicenter of New Jersey girls' basketball at the shore. Absolutely. And, you know, she has kind of overseen this whole rise. She's, you know, she was a player, but over the last decade, you know, she's been a coach, and she has seen, you know, the Mabrys and the Caitlin Flaherty's coming out of the shore – and it's her girls who are sitting in the stands watching these, you know, nationally ranked players, and it's kind of driving them forward. So it's been really a, a cycle here at the shore that has really uh, led to some great players. Right. I think it, that last point, one of the last things she touched on too, was interesting, and that is the enthusiasm gap. Like, will the will the public ever have the right. rabid enthusiasm for the girls' game that it does for the boys' game? We do see packed gyms at the shore. Because this is, you know, there are great players here, but that's not the case everywhere. It's not the case throughout the state. It's not the case in college gyms around the country. And I wonder, I do wonder if that will ever change or if it's just human nature to gravitate to above the rim rather than fundamentally sound. Well, yeah, I think I think she made very good points on that in terms of the athleticism and the excitement and that the girls game is you know, it's a more fundamentally sound game, but it's not as exciting a game. I'll tell you and this, Steve. I see, I see better passing. Right. I see better spacing. Right. I see much better free throw shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Ten times better free throw shooting among the girls and women's in the girls and women's game. So there's a lot to like there, and you 
you do wonder if the public perception is not what the reality of how, what the quality of the game is. Well, uh, you know, in a way, if you, ha if you have a youngster and you want them to really learn the game and you want to take them to a game, you might be better served taking them to a women's game, you know, if you're, if you're looking to make them fundamentally sound. But, uh, you know, one of the things she did touch on was uh, the practice versus playing aspect of AAU with all the games. And, you know, her take was she, she felt it was a detriment to not have that practice time, you know, where you're drilling those fundamentals in the kids and you're more in showcase events. Right. And I think that's a concern that goes, that goes across basketball, you know, boys and girls, and maybe goes across all sports in general. And that ties into the whole theme, Steve, of this podcast, and that is, are we, and she mentioned this, the 1%. You know, we didn't even bring it up. She brought it up. Usually we're bringing it up to guests, right. the 1%, the 1%. 1% are getting college scholarships. That golden goose, that golden ticket is driving the whole, this whole push, this whole explosion, the cottage industry of youth athletics, and it really is going to impact so few people. So, like, what, are, what is it really about? Uh, and that's the question of games versus practice, development versus results. And that, you know, we talk about it a lot with the boys' basketball. It's the same thing in girls' basketball. Title IX in 1973 opened the door. And you know what? When it comes to the, the pitfalls and perks, the girls are right there with the boys. That's what I get out of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think she said that. You know, it, it's just there's more girls being more competitive, and that's a good thing. So that is some great stuff on the subject. And if you want to look into that a little deeper, go back to some past episodes of the Create an Athlete podcast. Uh, for instance, episode eight with Mike Rice, balancing club and school teams, or our episode 12, which dealt with Title IX with Dr. Marilyn McNeil from Monmouth University. So that's it for this episode. Reach out to Jerry Carino on Twitter, at NJ Hoopshaven, or reach out to me on Twitter, at Steve Edelson, APP. Until next time, thanks for joining us.